0: In Matthew chapter 5, we find the beginning of one of the most often read and best known passages in the Bible. It's known as, anybody want to? Sermon on the Mount, right, the Beatitudes. Now, if you've ever been to that location where they believe Jesus actually delivered this sermon, you would probably refer to the site as the Sermon on the Hillside because it's anything but a mountain. It's a beautiful spot overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and some of us from Faith Fellowship were privileged to go there in 2017. In the sermon, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of his followers. Now, when you read the Bible, you must never forget that these are words, yes, for the followers in the present day when Jesus was alive— whether they lived in the first century, but they're words for us, too, here in the 21st century. These are words for you and me living our lives now in 2020. So let's read it together, okay? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Some of you weren't reading. Shame on you. But you'll get another opportunity later, okay? Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but the Greek word makarios is the word translated blessed. Now, some translate it as happy, but that doesn't quite capture the meaning of the word. See, the word happy conveys an inward disposition that may or may not be present in the people Jesus is referring to in each of the Beatitudes. In this Beatitude, Jesus calls people blessed who appear to be quite the opposite. Most people would probably say those who mourn don't seem to be blessed. In this Beatitude, Jesus is contrasting the world's idea of happiness with true blessedness, which is spiritual and only comes from a right relationship with God. The term mourn means to experience deep grief. In keeping with this theme of spiritual blessedness, Jesus seems to indicate that the mourning here is due to a person's sorrow and sadness over their sin. The people who agree with God about the sin in their lives can attain a state of spiritual blessedness in this life. In John 14, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. The Holy Spirit comforts those who are honest about their sin. And they're humble enough to ask for forgiveness of those sins. Now, those who try to hide their sin or try to minimize or justify it before God can never know the inner peace and the comfort that comes from a pure heart as Jesus talks about in another Beatitude we'll look at later. Now this verse sounds like a catch-all for anybody who's mourning over any pain or sorrow in life. I know many of your stories, and I know that you've experienced a tremendous amount of pain and sorrow of various kinds in your lives. And there's no doubt that we live in a world that is characterized by suffering and pain and sorrow everywhere we turn. Now the question that Jesus drives home to these first century hearers as well as us today is this. When is the last time you mourned and grieved over sin in your life? As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city He wept over it. Jesus was going into Jerusalem for the last time before he would be crucified. And this verse says he cried when he saw the city come into view. Jesus God in the flesh, no doubt had tears flowing down his cheeks as he cried. We've all cried over something that has taken place in our lives. And just thinking about it may start you to cry. Jesus cried because he saw into the future. And he knew the destruction that would come upon Jerusalem by the Romans in less than 40 years. Because of the people's sin. The people of Jerusalem may not have cried over their sins, but Jesus cried over their sins. As we look at the Beatitudes in this series, we must keep in mind that each of them has to be kept in context with their surrounding Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus spoke about being poor in spirit, which is everyone's spiritual condition when we ignore God or refuse to ask Him for forgiveness of our sins. And now in Matthew 5, 4, our mourning is the realization that we have a sinful nature and we need forgiveness of those sins by confessing them to God. I can't forgive your sins. You can't forgive mine. No preacher, no pastor, no priest can forgive your sins. Only Jesus. Now, the comfort of our souls comes when we are forgiven upon our confession and repentance of our sins before God. Grieving for someone you have lost by way of death is considered natural mourning. God gave you that person as a wonderful gift in your life, and and now they're gone. The natural response is to mourn and grieve because they're no longer here in this life. Those of you who have experienced that, you know all about this. In John, we read this. Where have you laid him, he asked. And this question is being asked by Jesus. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And what's the next two words? If you end up going to a Bible trivia class, usually uh, they ask the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus cried in the cemetery just as many of us have cried in cemeteries. Jesus knew sorrow. He knew grief over the death of his good friend Lazarus. The presence and comfort of Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift to every believer as they walk through their own grief and sorrow at the death of a loved one or a friend. Now this natural mourning is not what Jesus is talking about in this second beatitude. Now you get to read it with me. You that didn't read before, now is your chance. Blessed are those who mourn for they Will be comforted. Jesus wants us to know that this morning is spiritual mourning and not just natural mourning. This is sorrow and sadness over our sins that have been committed against a holy and righteous God. This is the godly sorrow that Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 17. Paul says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. We experience spiritual blessedness if we mourn and have sorrow over our sins. Because then that will lead us to salvation and eternal life when we die someday. You see, talking about this is important because Christians are surrounded by a form of faith that has been so watered down that it's unrecognizable compared to what Jesus speaks about. Saving faith, which unites a person to Christ, has been reduced to belief in certain spiritual truths. Hear me. Simply believing certain spiritual truths will never change your life. And repeat that. Simply believing certain spiritual truths will never change your life. James writes this He says, You believe there's one God, a spiritual truth. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. James said, demons, fallen angels, believe certain spiritual truths about God, but it couldn't change them and all they could do is just shudder for fear. You see, just believing certain spiritual truths in your head will never change a person. Only Jesus Christ can truly change any of us in this room. When Christ enters your life, he comes to forgive you, and he comes to also make you holy. This is important. Jesus accepts you as you are, right where you sit. But his grace will never leave you as you are. Many people giving mental assent to, quote, accepting Christ without ever bowing to the lordship in their lives. His lordship. And consequently, they end up with a form of faith that does not change their lives. Repentance, which involves a change of direction in our lives, has been reduced to merely admitting that we're sinners. Okay, I'm a sinner. Saying a little prayer and going on our way with little or no change in the way we live our lives. Now we can go all the way back to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah to find the true biblical call to repentance. Isaiah writes this, Turn to the Lord and pray to Him, now that He is near. Let the wicked leave their way of life and change their way of thinking. Let them turn to the Lord our God. He is merciful and quick to forgive. God, speaking through Isaiah, said that people should stop doing what they're doing. Hey, wake up, stop doing it. Leave your sinful way of life and turn to me for forgiveness. Now that's a million miles away from just admitting I'm a sinner and then continuing on with a way of living your life that is dishonoring to God. The repentance God wants from all of us involves a change in direction and leaving a way of life that God finds unacceptable. And let me emphasize that God finds unacceptable. Someone in your family might find it unacceptable. The pastors may find it unacceptable. But if God doesn't find it unacceptable by searching the scriptures, then you're okay. An old preacher said this once, and that wasn't me. I am an old preacher, but I didn't say this. God has not promised to forgive one sin that you're not willing to give up. Think about that for a moment. You believe it? If we aren't going to give up our sin, why should God forgive it? Now, I would say, and I've not run any scientific surveys, but I surmise by the condition of the church in America that many people in churches across America don't believe that statement. And the result is that every week, there are hundreds, literally thousands of people that, quote, admit they're sinners, and they, quote, accept Jesus, but they've not experienced Spiritual transformation. That's because they don't feel poor in spirit, as the first beatitude told us. And they don't know what it is to mourn and grieve over their sin. So what does spiritual mourning look like? Number one, spiritual mourning starts with humility. When you humble yourself... And when you realize you don't have what it takes to be right in a holy, righteous God's eyes, you will mourn. You will be sorrowful over your sins. Writing to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul, he wrestled with this issue and he cried out these famous words. Why do I do the things I do? Because I don't want to do them. Paul humbled himself and he was sorrowful and he mourned over the sins that he didn't want to do. Number two, spiritual mourning is a matter of the heart. Saul was the first king of Israel. And at one time, King Saul was a humble man, but something changed. During one of his many military campaigns, he's led his army into battle. And they took plunder, cattle and animals and and all kinds of shiny good things. He took the plunder for himself and for the men that were serving under him. It was just kind of part of what they did. The difference this time was Saul lied to cover up the fact that he disobeyed God's instructions about not taking any spoils. God said, I don't want you to take any this time. Saul tried to deceive the prophet Samuel about what he did, and then he lied to cover up his sin. Samuel confronted him with the truth. Saul had nowhere to hide. Saul confessed, and he sounded sorrowful. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Maybe Saul had a long face. Maybe he had a few crocodile tears when he's speaking to Samuel. Then he said something else to Samuel. I have sinned. But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Saul appears sorry. He seems to be be saying the right words to Samuel. The truth is, if he would have gotten away with it, he would have continued doing what he was doing with the plunder from the battle. He says he's sorry, but his focus... ...is on damage control... ...honor me... ...damage control before the elders... ...and the people of Israel... ...there doesn't seem... ...to be a change of heart... ...and a desire to do things differently... ...you see, spiritual mourning... ...is the key to tackling what we call habitual sins... These are sins that keep recurring in a person's life over and over. And maybe you struggle with habitual sins. You know, it's true that we'll never be sinless in this life. And we don't hold anybody to a sinless standard in this church. But Christ's redemptive power means his followers don't have to live in this cycle of sinning, then saying you're sorry to God, and then repeating the same behavior week after week, month after month, year after year, and you're the same person five years from now that you are today. Now, granted, there are people who seem to be content to go on sinning, and and they assume God's forgiveness. But they don't mourn their sins, they're not sorrowful over their sins, and they don't change. That's not walking the path of repentance. That's walking the path of presumption on the forgiveness of God. You see, God announces mercy for the mourners. And those who are not mourning their sins have nothing to do with His mercy. Finally, number three, spiritual mourning is infused with hope. Judas, if you remember the story, he grieved over his sin in betraying Jesus, but he didn't have spiritual mourning. And why was that? Well, his grief led him to a downward spiral of despair until he committed suicide. Grief that only leads to despair is the work of Satan and not the work of the comforter of the Holy Spirit. Satan wants to bring you and me to despair in ourselves, in our sin, but he never wants to bring us to hope in Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, brings us to despair in ourselves and our sin. He wants to inform us. He wants to enlighten us of our sin. But he doesn't leave us there. Thank God the Holy Spirit takes us on to hope in Christ and the mercy and forgiveness that is found in Jesus. Hope is a signature mark of spiritual mourning over your sins. True followers of Christ... Mourn their sins, but they never end them. Our mourning over our sins is infused with hope. And so we grab on to the comfort that the Holy Spirit provides us in Christ. And without that, it's not spiritual mourning. It's just a devil trying to work on you to make you go deeper and deeper into your despair over your sinful condition. And he drives people sometimes, even today, to suicide. Read it with me. Those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's an old teacher trick, isn't it? Come on, class. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What can comfort people who feel the weight and the despair of their sin. Well, of course, the better question is, who can comfort people who feel the weight and despair of their sin? In Isaiah 53, again, the prophet Isaiah announced hundreds of years before his birth that Jesus would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knows all about spiritual mourning, but not because he mourned over his own sins. In referring to Jesus, John said this, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Jesus was sinless, had no sins. No sins to mourn over. No sins to be sorrowful over. But he mourned over the sins of the world. And he grieved over their devastating effect on human beings. Why is this world in the mess it's in? It's a three-letter word. There's a powerful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, Greece. And he puts forth a list of these church members' past, P A S T, sins. They're attending the church, and and Paul kind of drags up and reminds them of some of the things that, that they were involved in before they came to Christ. He said, Some of you were drunkards, he said, Some of you were thieves, there were some of you that were swindlers. You were idolaters. Some were greedy. Some of you were adulterers. But he didn't stop there. He said this. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He didn't leave them in despair over their past sins. You see, in Christ this morning, the mourner living in Corinth, Greece, and there still is a Corinth, Greece, or the mourner of their sins living in Madison County can say, thank God, I'm forgiven of my sins no matter what they were. How grievous, how hideous, or how small and insignificant I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am justified before God. I am right standing. I'm not the follower of Christ I want to be. No, I'm not there yet. I'm not the follower of Christ I hope to be. But neither am I the person I used to be. And you can tell the devil that someday if he's ever gone in your case. Sanctification has begun in me just as it began in those Corinthian Christians. And one day we can say with confidence it will be complete all because of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's The comfort for those who mourn. So today, all of us can proclaim with full confidence that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. That when we mourn and we're sorrowful over our sins, the sins that put Jesus on the cross, the Holy Spirit comes and leads us on to hope in that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. There is hope today in Christ. There is forgiveness today in Christ. Lord, I pray for someone who may be in this room That's dealing with habitual sin, dealing with besetting sin in their life. They're not where they want to be. They cry out like Paul, why do I do the things I do? Because I don't want to do them. Lord, set them free. Let them look to Jesus. Let them cry out to the Holy Spirit to lead them to the hope found in Christ today. We thank you, Lord, that we will be comforted if we're sorrowful over the sins we've committed against you. And Lord, thank you for freedom and restoration in Jesus. There's now no condemnation, the Bible says, to those who are in Christ. And so we receive today that hope, and we receive forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Stand up and sing with us.